If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything. Of course, it is the Sunday October 9th edition of the show. It's the week six of recap and reaction show. Hopefully everybody is having a good morning. Uh, good gracious. What another week of college football. I mean, it just it gets more and more insane as we go along. But uh, last night was, was bonkers. Uh, I, I put out a tweet and said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pour a drink because this night slate has been insane. And I feel like I'm going to need it. Yeah, I certainly needed it. Certainly needed it because, man... Uh, what a just ridiculous level of just mayhem that we had last night. Uh, so much to get into. Let me go on and start by telling you this. Uh, the show brought to you by BetUS each and every time out. They are America's premier online sportsbook, and they are where the game begins. You can find BetUS TV. I host the BetUS College Football Show. Uh, I've got all the links in the description. So go ahead and make sure that you subscribe to the BetUS College Football Show. Make sure that you go and check out BetUS, along with all the other shows that are over at BetUS TV. They cover every single sport, everything that you could possibly put down a sportsbook wager on. Make sure that you go check it out. Uh, also, show brought to you by uh, Valtimeri Surf Company. There's going to be a link in the description for that as well. Uh, those guys are fantastic, awesome, awesome shirts, etc. And basically, it's like uh, the college towns for your favorite team, right? And they've got really cool shirt designs. You need to go check them out. Of course, the link is in the description. You use the promo code Gary10. It's going to get you 10% off of your order, so go and check them out. So, yes, all of that will be in the description below, whether you're listening to the podcast or, of course, watching the show live. Uh, we got a few people in. You guys can join in the chat. I always appreciate when you guys add a little insight to some of these games. we got a lot to talk about. Before we dive into the games... I do want to talk about this. Uh, ESPN's Adam Rittenberg talked about Louisville coach Scott Satterfield uh, on like early Saturday morning, I believe it was. And the report basically said if Louisville loses to Virginia, it is expected that uh, the Louisville administrators are going to fire Scott Satterfield. At that point, what I'm concerned with is why on earth does it come down to one game? Why does that matter? Like, I, I really don't understand why 
uh, you would have to wait for a game. Like, you've already decided that you're going to fire the guy. Why do you need to wait until you've got that? That's what I don't understand. So, yeah, I'm I'm a little, I just don't, I don't fully get it. If they have decided they're going to move on, then, yeah, I guess I, I guess I get it. But, man, very, very confusing uh, with what Louisville is doing. Uh, game day, uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess, is going to Michigan. They have not announced yet, but that's what it looks like. I mean, they just went to Knoxville. Now, would I fault them for going to a top-10 matchup in Knoxville again? I mean, this is a huge, huge matchup, rivalry game, et cetera. No, I wouldn't fault them, but, uh, but I look at it, and I do think that this is your only shot to go to Michigan this year. Because I, I looked at Michigan's schedule and whew, it is it's rough. They uh they don't have anybody that is really worth going out to Ann Arbor for. So this seems to be the spot where they would go to Big Ten country. Now, uh, along with that, uh, I'd say this thing clipping a little bit. You guys can tell me in the chat if uh if the audio is a little too much. But I the other thing that I wanted to bring oh Deion Sanders, Deion Sanders that that mess yesterday uh, just. Kind of rough, kind of rough, right? The whole they beat Alabama State. They're still throwing the ball deep late. Uh, it's it's a whole ugly situation. And the Alabama State coach Eddie Robinson Jr. told him, uh, "Yeah, he ain't swack," and that's you know, SWAC. And Dion, of course, coming back at like this is the kind of stuff. While it's a little childish, it's a little goofy. This is the stuff that HBCU teams need to draw more attention to the sport. Like, this wouldn't be a big deal if it was not Deion Sanders. I mean, let's just be completely honest here. So that's what's going on with that. Um, oh, and then, of course, uh, uh, prayers out to Mike Hart. Uh, there's Jay Hood, Seeger Sunday Service, officially open to the congregation. You better believe that. Uh, yeah, prayers to Mike Hart, of course, collapsed on the sideline yesterday. Michigan running back uh, coach, running game coordinator, etc. cetera. Uh, early first half against Indiana, those players were visibly shook. If you were worried about Michigan's performance against Indiana, I would not be. They came out and anaconded them in the second half. It just, you know, it basically sat on them for two more quarters after they got into uh, halftime. So, yeah, little, little bit crazy, little, uh, little nuts. All right, let's dive into the games. Let's talk about the things that you you guys actually want to talk about: Alabama and Texas A&M. That is the one. All right, so let's go on and break it down here. I'm going to go on and swap it over to the screen so you can look at the stats, etc. Uh, if you look at the the excitement index, which was a 3.67, uh, the game was surprisingly always expected Alabama to win this game, regardless of what the situation was, etc. Just a weird, weird spot. Uh, Alabama wins 24 to 20. They won yardage, 397 to 323. They won yards per play, 5.7 to 4.4. They won third downs, 36% to 29%. They won the rushing battle, 286 yards to 70. And they won drive points, 21 to nothing. The only way that A&M was able to score in this game was if Alabama gave them short fields, and they did it multiple times. Four turnovers for Alabama, which is not a common occurrence. Uh Look, Texas A&M did have a fourth down failure, I guess, too. Uh, Alabama missed two field goals of 35 and 47 yards. 
Jalen Milrow at quarterback is a bit of a liability. It, when you are one-dimensional against a good, even just average SEC football team, you're going to run into problems. And that's exactly what we had happen here. Uh, this was exactly what can happen when you have a backup quarterback that is not super comfortable in the offense. Now, they tried to come out and do some different things with that offense. And Milrow has to learn ball security. I mean, that's the that's the biggest thing. And then, of course, it, it pressed over. And uh, it was Jace McClellan, I believe, that, that fumbled the other one. But one interception. Late in the first, I mean, it was three turnovers in the first half, but four turnovers and three of them led to 17 points directly for Texas A&M. Just brutal, absolutely brutal. And it felt like it felt like we were watching last year's game all over again when Alabama could not get a third and short to keep the ball away from A&M late. It's exactly what it felt like. And early in the game, it felt like 2015 Alabama Ole Miss when Alabama had five turnovers in a revenge spot and Ole Miss had nothing and you had some crazy kind of plays going on. And, of course, there were some catches by Evan Stewart that were just unbelievable. (laughs) These guys are talented if you just give them the opportunity to do so. Uh, The last play of the game, that's the thing that everybody is all shook up about, right? The last play of the game, to me, was not an awful play call just on its face. The ball was not supposed to go to the one-yard line. That ball is a good play call if you have an incredibly accurate quarterback and a quarterback and a receiver that have a ton of chemistry, that have done that rep a thousand billion times, right? Because if you watch what Evan Stewart did over in the corner of the end zone, that ball from Haynes King is supposed to come out right as he's making that turn. It's not supposed to be a delay. Like, he threw it, and it was, even if he had caught the ball, it was closer to the two-yard line than it was to the end zone because he's headed the wrong direction. You're supposed to be able to make that cut and immediately turn back around and get the ball. Like, that's the corner of the end zone play. So it's not, like, a terrible play call. It's... It was just terrible in that moment because of the players that you were trying to get to do it. And this has been Jimbo's problem forever. He's asking his players to do things that they are not capable of doing. We've talked about this numerous times. You're not setting your players up for success with this incredibly complicated offense that requires just precision and exact accuracy and all that. You need to find open plays to let your guys go out and just run free. You have freak athletes on your team. What are you doing? It's insane. So, regardless, uh, Tyrone Davis jumps in. Hey, bud, what's up? Holy Sal jumps in. Stewart didn't go deep enough to sell that route. I do agree with that. And that's the other problem, is you've got a freshman and a backup quarterback, right, who was the start at the beginning of the year, and then he got pulled, and blah, blah, blah. You, you've got guys that don't practice this enough. Like, you can't run that specific of a play that requires that kind of accuracy and that kind of precision and timing if if you don't have the dudes. Bottom line, TriStar Football jumps in. Uh, he said both college game day and SEC Nation will be in Knoxville. Uh, I think Tennessee can beat Alabama. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. I think that line was 9.5 at DraftKings last night. Which, by the way, go use BetUS. Just saying. BetUS.com. Um, I... <laughs> If it anything, 
I'm going to talk about it on the Bet U.S. College Football Show on Tuesday. That's what I'm going to do. But regardless, uh, first time since 89 that both teams are undefeated when they're playing. Yes, that is true. Uh, TriStar says uh, people will stop saying Tennessee hasn't played anybody. Tennessee has three wins against top 25 teams, two of the three versus top 20 teams, two were on the road. Uh, who has Michigan played? Uh, Michigan hadn't really played anybody, to be completely fair. Um, bottom line, uh, TriStar says Alabama needs Bryce Young to beat Alabama. I would agree with that uh, slightly. I think what Alabama needs is to not turn the football over. you know. But at the same time, I do think Tennessee is going to put up points. And it, I, I don't know how easy that is for Alabama to do without Bryce Young, right? I just, I, I think it's, there are ways that they could win without Bryce, for sure. However, I don't think it's as likely. I'll say that. I will certainly say that. Uh, looking at the stats here, Milrow, 12 out of 19, 111 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Haynes King, 25 out of 46, 253, two touchdowns, one pick. Um, he was, like, those those 21 incompletions, I would bet, like, 19 of them were throwing the ball away as Will Anderson was breathing down his neck. That tied defense was pretty good tonight. There were some insane catches made by Aggie wide receivers. And then there were some where the receiver was just wide open. You know, they found a hole in the zone, uh, which Alabama does not run often, but they found spots for them. And, you know, guys like Moose Muhammad, uh, Devin A-Chain didn't do a lot as far as, you know, actually catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, but Donovan Green, you know, had a couple of receptions. Uh, Evan Stewart was the dude. I mean, eight receptions, 106 yards. It just, it, Texas A&M put up a lot of fight. And the way that they put up a lot of fight was turnovers. Bottom line, Alabama won this game with a negative three turnover margin. They are putrid at forcing turnovers this year. I don't know what it is because they've got guys. they got dudes. Just it's it's the bounce of the ball. It's all kinds of different things. Which, by the way, Alabama fumbled the ball three times, lost all three of them. That's not a common occurrence. So uh, read into that what you will. But uh, but yes, A and M got 17 points off turnovers last night and uh, only scored 20 points. Just ridiculous. All right, we're moving on. Uh, spent enough time on that one. Let's talk about the other game of the day, and that would be. TCU, 38, Kansas, 31. Now, this one happened in Lawrence. Really interesting spot. Uh, Go on and pull up the stats, of course, for you so that you can see exactly what we're looking at. And, da-da-da-da. All right. TCU won 38-31. They won third downs, 45-36. Uh, only one fourth down failure to two for Kansas. Uh, the home dog won yardage. 540 to 452, so Kansas outgained them by almost 100 yards. They outdid them on a yards per play basis, 7.5 to 7.1. They outrushed them, 189 to 144. Turnovers were equal, two apiece. Um, along with that, drive points were equal, 21 to 21. Uh, Daniels was hurt early, Jalen Daniels. Uh, he was hurt early, and then Bean came in and was awesome. I mean, the, the backup had huge numbers. If you look at this, uh, Jason Bean was 16 out of 24 for 262 with four touchdowns and one pick. I mean, he he basically equaled what Max Duggan did. Duggan was 23 out of 33 for 308 and three touchdowns with one pick. Like I, yeah, Holy Salad said uh, said Kansas just too many mistakes on offense. So it, I don't think it was necessarily that. 
I will tell you that this was a beautifully called game by that Kansas offensive staff. And the defense didn't do terribly. Like, I'm telling you, there is still a massive roster difference here. Like, it, there's there's really no reason why Kansas should be in some of these games other than just absolute perfect coaching week in and week out by this Jayhawks team. They are so freaking good. Like, it blows my mind how good they are. And uh, TriStar said, I think if Jalen Daniels doesn't get hurt, Kansas wins. Eh. I mean, Daniels, on the day, uh, had seven carries for six yards and was five out of ten passing for 89 yards and no scores. I don't necessarily think that he would have led them to a win. I think Jason Bean played out of his mind. And the idea of... Bean coming in was a little bit of a change of pace. Now, they're pretty similar players somewhat, but Bean does some things differently than Daniels, and TCU was ready for Daniels. They were not ready for Jason Bean at all, and you could see it in the third quarter. I mean, it, it, the game was 10-3 to at the half, and both teams come out and score three touchdowns each in the third quarter. It was, you know, 42 total points in that quarter, and then in the fourth quarter, they had kind of figured it out again. Both teams score one touchdown. I mean, that's how you get 38 to 31. So, I this is this is really interesting to me, uh, looking at what this team is going forward. Kansas has to go play Oklahoma next week, and I think it's actually in Lawrence, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I might be mistaken. I don't remember exactly where that game is. Regardless, Kansas should actually be favored in that game. How often do we say this? Like, it, it's kind of a shocking result to me that we would even be in that situation. Uh, when you look at the win probability here, it's it's just kind of nuts that we got to a point only a couple of times where Kansas's win probability was over 60%. This was a tight ball game. So Holy South said it was a great game. TCU was just better. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's exactly what the situation was. And... I still think Kansas is a good football team. I think TCU-Oklahoma State this coming weekend is going to be a lot of fun. But I I expect big things from Kansas throughout the season. Like, I don't think this is the only loss that they'll take. But they impressed me yesterday. I thought TCU was going to blow them out of the water. Did not happen. College game day, by the way, in Lawrence. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic atmosphere. I thought it was great. Uh, everything about that place was awesome. So, uh Moving right along, UCLA got a big-time win over Utah, 42-32. Uh, to 32. Now, I talked about this on the BetUS College Football Show last week. I said that my numbers had UCLA favored. I was hesitant. I probably should not have been. Obviously, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, But I, I looked at that and, and thought, man, this is... UCLA is a fantastic football team. Like, this is a good team. And I just, I didn't fully appreciate what it was that that they were doing. You know? I, I, I think it had to do with the, uh, the schedule strength, etc. Right? Obviously, everybody always talks about that. Like, ah, yeah, but who have they actually played? And really, we could have said that about Utah. Like, I don't know why we didn't. Yeah, Utah went up against Florida, but is Florida that good? I mean, that, that's where the questions come in, right? Uh, so going to pull up the stats here, 
Uh, UCLA was, you know, a three-point dog at close. They won yardage 5'11 to 479. They won yards per play 8.4 to 6.2. That's what's crazy. I mean, you look at the total plays in this game, and uh, and UCLA was just efficient. Like, it just ridiculously efficient. Uh, third downs, UCLA won 56 to 54%, rushing 212 to 192. They won drive points 28 to 25. Uh, they won turnovers uh, 2 to 1. They were also 2-1 to one in fourth-down failures against Utah. Uh, this looked a lot like the Washington game. UCLA could get what they wanted whenever they wanted to, and here's the scary part for Utah. Uh, if you look on the screen here, Zach Charbonnet, 22 carries for 198 yards. That Those rushing numbers do not happen against Utah. And yet, in this game, absolutely. And he was the only one doing it. They didn't go with the whole stable of backs. Like, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR, was 11 for 17 yards. Zach Charbonnet was the dude. Uh, DTR, by the way, passing. 18 out of 23, 299 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. That ain't bad, y'all. That ain't bad at all. Holy Sal said UCLA is so physical. They really are. On the line of scrimmage, they've got some dudes that really want to go whip the guy across from them. You don't see that often. It used to be a staple of a Chip Kelly offense. They took pride in those pancake blocks. They took pride in knocking guys off the line of scrimmage. You hadn't seen it a whole lot. And they got those dudes now. I mean, UCLA looks like a good football team. I was highly impressed. Uh, Cam Rising, 23 out of 32 passing, 287 yards, and one interception. Uh, Tavion Thomas, you know, 91 yards rushing on 18 carries. That ain't bad. That's over five yards a carry. Uh, Cam Rising was able to run the ball quite a bit. He had two rushing touchdowns. But at the end of the day, like their offense could not keep up with UCLA. It was just mind-blowing to watch. Uh, You look at these stats. By the way, all these uh, stats and whatnot come from statbroadcast.com, gameonpaper.com, espn.com, etc. So if you want to go check them out for yourself, you can do so over there. They are great tools to check out. Uh, The win probability changed very quickly in this one. I mean, UCLA kind of took hold of this game and just held on to it early. And, man, uh, just... So, by the way, green is good, purple is bad, right? So, neither team had a very good defensive run stuff rate in this one. Uh, But UCLA, their explosive play rate was pretty awesome in this one. 11% of their plays were considered explosive on the day. That ain't bad. That ain't bad at all. All right. Moving right along, we got other games to discuss. There was a lot that happened yesterday, so of course we're moving uh, at a, I, I would say, a rapid pace, but we are already 20 minutes into this thing, so it's the way it goes. That is the way it goes. Texas, 49, Oklahoma, zero, zilch, nada, not a thing. Oklahoma, what in the world? Uh, this I, I, I talked about this on Jay Hood's uh, podcast, the, uh, the Value Bets show. If Dylan Gabriel did not play, I said Oklahoma was going to be in a world of hurt. And they absolutely were. That offense could do nothing. Nothing. They had five different guys attempt passes in this game, did Oklahoma. Uh, Davis Bevel was 6 out of 12 passing for 38 yards. Eric Gray was 1 for 2. He's, of course, the running back. Uh, Michael Turk was 1 for 1. Nick Evers was 0 for 1. Marcus Major was 1 for 1. 
we did not get a general booty pass, uh, so that is what it is. Uh, Holy Sal jumped in. Uh, Oklahoma might be the worst team in the Big 12. Yeah, without Dylan Gabriel, absolutely. Absolutely. And that defense, man, and so I know that they're missing the safety um, and maybe a couple other guys as well, but man, like they are... Uh, th- this was this was a beatdown of epic proportions. Quinn Ewers, 21 out of 31, 289 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. Uh, Bijan Robinson, 22 carries and 130 yards, two touchdowns. This was, I mean, it, Texas had almost 300 yards passing, almost 300 yards rushing. They had seven touchdowns on the day. I mean, it, it was garbage time by halftime. Uh, as far as advanced stats are concerned, this was a complete annihilation. Uh, average yards per play, 7.2 to 3.3. Uh, looking over the actual full stats, uh, this game was not as close as the score indicated uh, from Jeff Fogel, uh, who who does a bunch of stuff for VSIN. Uh, but Texas won yardage 585 to 195, yards per play 7.2 to 2.4, third downs at 67 to 20 percent, rushing 296 to 156, and drive points 35 to nothing. Of course, a drive is any drive that gets inside the opponent's 40 yard line or or that goes uh, 60 plus yards. Um, the OU defense has looked just brutal for the last three weeks. It's like they beat Nebraska, and of course this is part of that Nebraska curse that everybody's talking about now. Uh, But they are just... I I can't figure out what is happening. It's like they forgot how to play defense. And we saw some signs of this early against, you know, weak uh, non-conference competition. Uh, Stone Thomas takes, jumps in, Texas could be 6-0 and ranked number one in the country if viewers didn't get hurt. I guess our decade of roasting Texas fans might be over now. It may maybe right now, I guess. Uh, and they've got Arch Manning coming in. I, Steve Sarkeesian is a good coach. This is something that we figured out, uh, and I told you guys last week about the explosive plays, right? If you thought that TCU could draw up explosive plays, like you know Texas is going to be able to find open guys, and they didn't even have to do that. Like, they were only 4% explosive play rate in this game because they were so successful everywhere else. They had a 51% success rate. That's 86th like percentile in the country. That's massive. Like they were they were unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Holy South said, "Yeah, with Texas having viewers, they might win the Big 12. They absolutely can win the Big 12. Like, you, are, does TCU really scare you if you're Texas, especially with the way that that Longhorns defense has been playing? I mean, not me. Uh, once you get past Oklahoma, like there's obviously there's teams that can beat." Texas, we get that. Oklahoma State, Baylor, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You just go down the list. Kansas, even. But this Longhorns team is set up to be pretty good going forward. I I think there are more... When you look at the grand simulations, out of a 1,000 simulations, I think Texas probably wins the Big 12 in 75% of them, just to guess, because this team is talented, like, they are loaded. They've got the quarterback now. The defense is looking good. I I like Texas a lot right now. I mean, this team is well-coached. They are playing well. They are playing confidently, which is something the Texas teams have not done in a long time. If you're looking at your screen, you see the EPA uh, for the game. OU, negative 27.3 once they got to play number 77. Texas, once they got to play number 91, they were plus 24.86. That is... I mean, it's a huge difference. It's a massive difference. So, 
props to them on getting a massive, massive win. Uh, let's see, we're at 26.50. Let's, uh, let's take a break. On the other side, we're going to talk about Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. Let's check out some things you should know about. College football is back, and BetUS TV has you covered. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we've got expert game analysis to help you make informed decisions before kickoff, only on the BetUS TV College Football Channel. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, gambling picks, merch, the gear we use, and more. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. And now, back to the show. All right. And, of course, we were muted. Good gracious. All right, Texas Tech loses a close one. Close. Uh, at Oklahoma State, 41-31. to 31, The Cowboys get this one done. And, man, uh, I, I look at the stats on this. We're going to pull them up on the screen so you can see what we're talking about. Uh, total yards, Texas Tech, 527 to 434. I mean, just crazy. Um, the, Oklahoma State did win third downs, 44 to 36%. They won turnovers. Uh, Tech also had three fourth down failures, which they have been doing a lot lately. Uh, they went for it on fourth down seven times. They got four of them. I mean, it, they are using that to their advantage. Like, Joey McGuire is big into analytics, apparently. Um, and I'm here for it. So, yeah, Tech did win the yardage by, I mean, almost 100 yards here. They won yards per play, 5.1 to 5.0. Um, and they, I mean, they ran 104 plays to only 86. Which I say only 86. I mean, that's insane, right? Uh, they won rushing 148 to 137. They won drive points 31 to 10. Uh, this, look, Oklahoma State scored a touchdown with under three minutes left that got them the cover in this game. But this was a tight, tight ball game. Uh, Texas Tech was leading this game late, late in the third quarter and, and then early in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was a, it, it was a tight ball game. Just absolutely ridiculous. Texas Tech was four out of four in the red zone. Oklahoma State was six out of six. Uh, you look at you look at this situation here, and it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for Texas Tech. Uh, Baron Morton, thirty nine out of sixty two passing, three hundred seventy nine yards, two touchdowns, one interception. This is the third string guy. Tyler Shuck, of course, had the injury. Donovan Smith now has uh, something going on, and it doesn't matter. Uh, you got Thompson, the running back, twenty carries, eighty seven yards, one touchdown. This is interesting to watch going forward. Oklahoma State stays undefeated. They're going to TCU next week. Texas Tech is going to give everybody trouble. Uh, with their going forward on fourth down and their really just creative play calling, it, it reminds you a little bit of Texas, uh, not Texas, excuse me, a little bit of uh, Kansas. But I was, I was highly impressed with what they're doing. Uh, this team just looks like a lot of fun. Um, 
But either way, you look at the win probability, the excitement index was was pretty up there, 5.05. Uh, it's definitely better than average. And, of course, the expected points. Um, once you got to a certain point, like Texas Tech made the decline late in this game, and Oklahoma State kind of ticked up towards the end. So this was... Uh, about what I expected. I mean, my number had Oklahoma State favored by 7.7. So, is what it is. Holy Sal said uh, Texas Tech will give a lot of teams trouble. Yes. Yes, they will. With with that offense, Zach Kitley, like, Donovan Smith doesn't fit what they do at quarterback as well as maybe Tyler Shuck and the Morton kid. So, that's something to pay attention to going forward with that bunch. But the Big 12, man, the Big 12 is so much fun. Uh, we're going to talk another Big 12 team. Let's go on and do that. Kansas State 10, Iowa State 9. And who would have thought that the game-winning touchdown would be scored with 12 minutes and 30-something seconds left in the first quarter? Uh, Kansas State, at at close, was only favored by one. For most of the week, they were favored by two, uh, two and a half at some points. But a lot of money came in late on Iowa State. Uh, Look, Kansas State won the yardage, 388 to, eh, here, let's pull it up on the screen so that you guys can actually see the stats. Uh, and it is taking its sweet time. I'll go on and keep reading. Uh, yards per play, 6.7 to 4.5. The one yardage, 388 to 276. And there we go. We got it. Uh, they won rushing, 131 to 78. They won drive points, 7 to 6. I mean, just like, what is happening? Iowa State won third downs 33 to 31%. They won turnovers one to nothing, uh, but they did have a fourth down failure, so I guess those kind of evened out. Kansas State missed a 33-yard field goal try. Uh, You look at these numbers, and Kansas State was actually more dominant than what the score led on. Uh, There was a freak play, and I'm sure that some of you saw it, where Kansas State had an explosive play, and they were running the ball into the end zone, and the Iowa State defender made maybe the most beautiful attack on a football I have ever seen because he knew he wasn't getting the receiver down, but he grabs the guy or comes up from behind him, grabs him with one shoulder, and punts the ball with his fist out from behind at the one-yard line. The thing bounces into the end zone, gets recovered by uh, some of the other defensive backs for Iowa State. I mean, that, that thing would have put that game away if he had scored that. So that that would have been the cover. Um, but that's something that you got to look into if you're Kansas State is if the only way that you can score is explosive plays against some of these defenses like Iowa State. And, and don't get me wrong, Iowa State has a fantastic defense. But are they that good of a defense? Like, is, is that, you know, you're going to run into some other interesting teams in this conference. Uh, you you. It's not that Adrian Martinez played poorly. I mean, he had 19 carries, 77 yards. Deuce Vaughn only had 10 carries in this game and only had two catches. Um, and I don't know if he ended up injured. I mean, th- this game was going on while a lot else was happening. So if somebody knows, let me know. But uh, only two catches for 14 yards and 10 carries for 23 yards. I-, I think you need Deuce Vaughn to do more than that. Unless Iowa State just bottled him up. Uh, Adrian Martinez was 12 out of 19 passing, 246 yards, one touchdown. So, really no major issues there. He had 19 carries for 77 yards. Um, I I like Kansas State. I don't know if you guys saw this. Chris Kleiman was hugging the AD 
after the game, and it was it looked like a super emotional moment. Kansas State is now three and zero in the Big Twelve. I mean, they are they are good. This is a good football team, and I am I'm not shocked by it. Uh, it's just a little more shocking that they lost to Tulane right before Big Twelve play began. Right, like that's this team is they are so pencil thin on the margins that if it, they could they could have easily lost any of these games that they've played like it's they they have to be perfect almost to get the win and when you look at like the total number of plays in a game and and all that it, i mean they they were in 58 offensive plays like I, I thought by bringing in Colin Klein as the offense coordinator they were supposed to play faster like i thought there was going to be more opportunities but Obviously, I've been wrong, uh, and I will be wrong going forward, which is okay. I just, I can't figure this team out. Like, are they dominant or are they not? Because if you're dominant, you're supposed to be able to, like, own teams. You're supposed to be able to dominate teams. And, I mean, Kansas State, like, the only touchdown that we had in this game, which is, is good for the defense, for sure, but the only touchdown in this game was early on, like, an explosive pass. (laughs) <laughs> just I can't I can't figure them out. Uh, the win probability went past, yeah. Holy South said they look past Tulane. Yeah, that's the thing. Is okay if you can look past a team like Tulane and end up getting beat. Like you can do that multiple other times. You you should be able to win a game like that even if you are looking past them. So that's what I'm trying to figure out is like how good is Kansas State? Like are they Big Twelve championship good, or are they just you know go to a pretty good bowl game? JJ said, "If Ohio State looks good going into November, they have a good chance." Yeah, no, no, you're you're right about that. We'll we'll hit Ohio State here in just a little bit, but Kansas State, this ain't a national championship team, but this is a team that I, I look at it and I don't know. I just I I don't think they're great, but I don't think they're terrible either. So I'm I'm very curious about this one. Uh, moving forward. We, we, we won't spend as long on the next one as we did on that one because I'm trying to get this done in about an hour. Uh, looking at Notre Dame 28, BYU 20. And let's, I mean, let's pull it up. Let's pull up the stats. Let's see what's looking. Uh, Holy South said, yep, Tulane is a good team, uh, to be frank, in their, or to be fair, in their own way. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I know Tulane's a good team. I just, I didn't think they were as good as Kansas State. Uh Notre Dame beat BYU 28-20. Now, this one was in Las Vegas. They won yardage 496 to 280. They won yards per play 6.8 to 6.1. They did run 73 plays to only 46 for BYU. Third downs, 69% to 33%. Rushing 234 to 160. They won drive points 23-14. Turnovers were equal, 1-1. BYU was helped by a cheap 26-yard touchdown drive. Notre Dame should have done more with almost 500 yards. I saw this, and the second quarter is what lost BYU this football game. They they gave up 15 points in that quarter. It was, um, I bet on BYU. And the reason that I bet on BYU was exactly what you saw from guys like Epps, uh, what you saw from, you know, some of these explosive plays that they had with Brooks and uh, Katoa, etc. You had a 28-yard run. You had a 48-yard uh Reception or no, sorry, a 53-yard reception, you know, stuff like that that they could break off against that defense for Notre Dame. Early in this game, Jaron Hall looked not right, and and by that I mean there was it, something looked off 
with him. I was not expecting him to kind of wilt in the light of such a big primetime game. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what he did, but I wonder if he's all the way healthy right now. He was only 9 of 17 passing for 120 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, They only had one receiver that caught more than one pass, which is just mind-blowing. Puka Nakua had one, what, one target, I think? No, one drop. Uh, He got three targets, one drop, had no receptions. Didn't expect that. Uh, Epps had four receptions on six targets. And then Gunnar Romney, Rex, Hill, Katoa, and Cosper all had one reception each. Nine receptions in this game. You didn't utilize one thing against this secondary that I thought would be a pretty decent advantage. It just went nuts. Holy South said Hall didn't trust his O-line. That's kind of what it looked like. It looked like he had happy feet, especially early. But, like, there had not been anything in that game to show you that you shouldn't trust him. So I wonder if this is just something that's been building based on maybe what happened against Utah State last week, etc. I thought that BYU had overlooked the past however many teams. It makes me wonder about BYU next week in Provo against Arkansas for sure. And is Notre Dame, like, okay now? Are they good? Do we do we think Notre Dame's good? I, I, I haven't decided yet. Uh, that that team is that team is interesting, uh, to say the least. I mean, Drew Pine looks pretty good. Like, is is the BYU defense just terrible, or uh, see, I I just I don't know. I just don't know because I, I thought, okay, Drew Pine does this against North Carolina. That's one thing. They do it against. BYU, it's something else, right? And I, I don't think the BYU defense is terrible. Uh, but, man, this was, you know, again, you're looking at the screen. This is at uh, gameonpaper.com. Green is good. Purple is bad. Notre Dame got a lot of green. Just a success rate, 53%. That's a 92nd percentile. Um, they, I mean, the EPA per play was 70th percentile. I mean, it's just that Notre Dame kind of dominated this game now, it didn't show it on the scoreboard. Uh, this game, by the way, late, late, late in the game, BYU had fourth and one at the Notre Dame 27 and really had a chance to go in and score and go for a two-point conversion to tie this thing up at the end and could not get that one yard. I mean, how how insane is this? Uh, Holy South said Notre Dame could go eight and four. They're better than we think after the Marshall game. Yeah, Marshall is not a bad team either. Uh, I wonder... If, if maybe they've got the right quarterback in there now and the Lions are actually playing the way that they're supposed to. Like, everybody talks about these regime changes like like it's no big deal. Yeah, even though these guys were all on the same staff last year, it, that's still a massive deal, right? Like, that's a huge, huge situation to bring in a new head coach after however many, you know, over a decade with, uh, with Kelly being there. So just something to pay attention to with this team because they, they look pretty good. I, I still think that USC is probably better than them. But at the same time, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule out Notre Dame winning out at this point. I don't think there's anybody left on their schedule that they can't beat. So, definitely interesting. Definitely interesting. Uh, Holy South said, so Ohio State's win looks better. <laughs> I don't know JJ said that. Uh, yeah, it, it does look better now. It absolutely looks better now. That's uh, that's the key to this, right? 
Uh, awesome. Do you think Kansas will be ranked after the loss? I think they played well. Uh, I think they should be, but the name hurts, right? I think that's the biggest issue there. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I think it'll probably be in the 20s, but we will find out here shortly. I mean, very, very shortly. They'll, they'll release that thing. Uh, moving on. Let's, uh, let's dive into this, and then we're going to start a little bit of rapid fire. Uh, Tennessee 40, LSU 13. And man, oh man, this game started off at just nightmare fuel for LSU fans. <laughs> I mean, just fumble the opening kickoff, and Tennessee scores, what, three plays, four plays later? It was, it was so fast that you didn't even know what had happened, really. Um, Tennessee won the yardage, 502 to 355. They won yards per play, 6.5 to 4.9. Rushing, 263 to 55. 55? I mean, <laughs> if, if LSU is running the ball 28 times for only 55 yards, that is a problem, an absolute problem, because uh, Jalen Daniels, like, that's what he does. This team was the number one PPA per rush offense in the country. They were they were great. Uh, LSU special teams, yikes, says Holy Set. Yes, uh, there, were, there were so many problems here for LSU, and it just started off as a complete dud. Complete dud. Uh, continuing on, uh, they won drive points 20 to 14, did Tennessee. They won turnovers two to nothing. LSU had three fourth down failures. Uh, yeah, and, that's, and Tennessee went three for three on fourth down. Uh, LSU actually won the third downs, 47% to 44%, but, I mean, they, they just couldn't keep the drives going. Uh, this was... This was a good spot for Tennessee to figure out exactly what they were. You go on the road to Baton Rouge, that's a tough place to play all the time. Jalen Daniels kind of let this thing rip. Once they realized that they could not get things going on the ground, uh, and they were already behind early, I mean, they were bat- they were down 13 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Jalen Daniels, 32 out of 45 for 300 yards, one touchdown, one interception. It's not bad, honestly. Uh, and then Hooker, on the other hand, on Tennessee, 17 out of 27, 239, two touchdowns. Yeah, uh, just super efficient again. Just doing his thing. 10 rushes, 56 yards for him as well. Uh, Holy South said LSU starting left tackle, going to the hospital on Friday was a big deal. Yeah, Will Campbell, uh, obviously prayers out to him. But, yeah, that's that was a big deal uh, for the running game. I mean, starting left tackle, is that's a huge, huge situation. And I saw that and shared it out on Friday night and was like, okay, this is weird. Uh, so I, and, and I haven't seen any reports on what's going on. Um, just crazy. Just crazy. JJ said the hurry-up offense is good, but it does have weaknesses, which Bama will exploit, plus Tennessee's defense is just bad. Uh, yes and no, right? Because that, that offense is... There are absolutely ways to exploit it. You can bait that offense into doing things that they don't necessarily want to do. But you did see last year, I mean, that was a tight ball game with Alabama and Tennessee in the fourth quarter until they got like a, I think a pick six and a couple of big plays went Alabama's way. Alabama ends up winning the ball game 52 to 24, but it was, I think, 28 to 24 late in that game with like 10 minutes left. So it's not like Tennessee couldn't play, you know, last year. Uh, But this Tennessee rushing defense has been pretty impressive. I mean, in, in this ballgame, uh, they, let's see, average yards per rush. LSU had two yards per rush. Even without your starting left tackle, you should be better than that because that's, people talked about Tennessee's defense forever. 
Tim Banks is a very aggressive calling defensive coach. He's going to bring guys off the edge. He's going to bring blitzes to try and cause disruption. That normally doesn't get a running game stopped. And yet they've got a defensive line that looks like they are pretty, pretty good. So I, I cheers to Tennessee for getting this thing knocked out uh, because, man, that was – this line was like two and a half pretty much all week, three in, in most spots. But, man, uh, odds makers thought this thing was going to be close, and it never was. From the opening kick, it was never close. So props to Vols fans because you guys got a squad this year. That was awesome. All right, uh, moving right along, and we, we still got a ton to cover. Hopefully you guys are in for the ride. North Carolina 27, Miami 24. Did not expect a low-scoring game here between these two teams, considering Miami's defense has been bleh, and uh, and North Carolina's defense has been bleh. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke in this ballgame was uh, not bad. I mean, he threw the ball just a ton. Um, Going to pull up the stats here, 42 out of 57 for 496 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, But Miami's running game... 23 carries for 41 yards here? I mean, I just... Uh, just rolling over all of the, the numbers here. Uh, Miami, excuse me, North Carolina, one third downs, 50% to 33%. They won rushing 161 to 43. They won drive points, 24 to 21. Turnovers were equal. Uh, Miami did have three fourth down failures, so those are effectively turnovers. Um, they... I, I look at this... And I just, Miami won the yardage by 70 yards, 540 to 470. They won yards per play, 6.8 to 6.6. And North Carolina was just smoother in this game, but I don't know exactly how smooth anything was in this game. This was a weird game to watch. I had it on one of my screens, which you can see behind me. Um, (laughs) JJ, does that just mean the offenses were poor enough for the defenses to play better? I, I don't know that I can take that from this. I just, I don't think that either of these teams is very good. And yet, North Carolina is sitting here at 5-1 and one in the ACC. Like, that's, I, I haven't figured out this North Carolina team yet. Uh, if they are starting to come around, maybe on the defensive line a little bit, which you can read that, you know, read into it what you will, 1.8 yards per rush for Miami. But Miami ran the ball uh, for 1.6 yards per rush against Middle Tennessee. So, how good is that for North Carolina? The fact that they can actually do it, is good. Like, it obviously, it would have been really crappy if they had uh, if they had given up, like, five yards of carry to a team that only ran for 1.6 on middle. But, man, 82 Atlantic said, why doesn't Miami just start Jay Garcia? Uh, well, my gosh, I mean, Tyler Van Dyke was 42 out of 57 for 496 and three touchdowns. I mean, what do you want him to do? Like... <laughs> I don't think Jake Garcia is the answer for Miami. Uh, I just think this whole team needs, like, an overhaul. Like, I, I just, uh, there's just all kinds of things. Uh, Stone Thomas takes that teams throw all over North Carolina. I don't blame Miami for sticking with the pass. No, absolutely. It's it's not it's not the sticking with the pass thing. It's that you ran 23 times for 41 yards. Like, if you're going to run 23 times, I would expect somewhere closer to like 75 yards or 70 yards, you know, get, give me four yards carry, not 1.8. Like, that's that's the thing. You cannot be successful if every time you run the ball, you're getting less than two yards. Like, it just it doesn't work that way. Uh, looking at game on paper, 
the uh, let's see, success play or successful plays. Da, 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 da. And so Miami was actually fifty four percent success rate on the day, but as far as their rushes go, yeah. EPA negative 10.05 as far as running the football. They were negative 0.46 EPA per play on every rush. That kills you. It just does. It hurts. This was a weird game. This was a weird game. Uh, Crystal Ball has a lot to clean up there. Just, <laughs> just a ton. And North Carolina is in the ACC race. I mean, what in the world is happening? Uh, holy cow. I don't like Gaddis. I think that's their issue. People have been talking about that for a long time. Gaddis is still like a, a pretty new offensive coordinator. Remember, he was the wide receivers coach at Penn State. He was the wide receivers coach at Alabama. Uh, he did help game plan a little bit at Alabama. He and Loxley famously got into a fight about that, going back and forth with each other about who was actually responsible for the game plan. And then, of course, Loxley leaves and goes to Michigan, and Michigan is totally fine with him leaving. They don't put up a fight at all. He goes down to Miami, and, and this is what you got right now. So I, I don't know what to make of it, really, but uh, but it's something to pay attention to. Uh, let's see. NC State, 19-17 over Florida State, and whew, Jordan Travis. What are you doing with that pick in the end zone, my brother? That was a bad spot. Bad spot late in that ball game. You had, you had the field goal in your back pocket. If you had to... If you had to rely on it, it was there. But that loft to the end zone for Jordan Travis at the end of that game cost him the football game. And there were other things that cost him the game, but my gosh, what a bad spot. Uh, NC State, they were favored by three. They only won by two. Uh, Devin Leary did go out injured in this game late. Uh, That was, I don't know what to make of NC State going forward because this kid, Jack Chambers, uh, they did nothing with him. Like... (laughs) Nothing at all. They didn't let him throw. Like, I think he threw the ball one time. Uh, it was it was not not great. He ran the ball seven times for 39 yards, so I guess that's good. Uh, Jordan Houston ran the ball 24 times for 90 yards. Like, that's, that's awesome. Uh, but overall, NC State won the turnover battle 2-1. to one. Florida State had two fourth-down failures to just one for North Carolina State. Uh, Florida State won the yardage, 387 to 307. They won yards per play, 6.7 to 4.4. That's the second straight game that Florida State has won the yardage battle by a lot and then lost the game. Did the same thing against Wake Forest last week. Um, They won rushing, 206 to 182. They won drive points, 14 to 7. Florida State did all of this. Uh, This was interesting because Florida State looked better at the line of scrimmage, and I thought that they wouldn't. And NC State found a way to win this ballgame. I mean, props to him. Uh, Jordan Travis had seven carries for 108 yards. Now, one, of course, was that 71-yard touchdown. Holy South said the NC State offense is not good. They're not. (laughs) They're so bad. Like, if I'm Dave Doran, uh, I liked the Tim Beck hire initially. I don't like it now that I've seen what he's trying to do. They they are so uncreative. Teams, they're so predictable. I just, I can't, you've got a guy in Devin Leary that a lot of people think is an NFL quarterback, and you don't let him go out and do anything with the ball. Like, it just, it blows my mind watching it, because I think that they are, I think they could be a lot better if you look at the pieces that they've actually got. And their play calling, their scheme is just brutal. Like, it's not a good scheme at all. 
So I, I have not been impressed with NC State's offense. I don't know of anybody that actually is, but that is, that's just rough. I mean, the whole thing's just rough. Uh, I, I look at this. Devin Leary was 10 out of 21 passing, obviously before injury, for 130 uh, yards, one touchdown, one interception. Jordan Travis, 15 out of 30, 181 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Yeah, you know, he did have 100 yards rushing. He had the 71-yard run. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think Florida State's bad. I think this is going to be an interesting test with Clemson going to Florida State next week. Because I, I do think that Florida State is, like, right there. They are so close. Uh, Holy South said, as a Buckeye fan, yes, Tim Beck is boring. It's mind-blowing. Like, there was some stuff that they were doing, even just last year, that I was like, okay. Like, this is, even during the, the 2020 season, they did some cool stuff. And it's like they have tried to take all of the risk out of the game. They don't want to lose a game on a play. And it's like... Yeah, but you got to do something to try and win the game. So, what are what is the point here, NC State? Like, what what are you trying to accomplish? And I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. All right, uh, I got to hit one more thing, and then we are going to rapid fire through Purdue, Maryland, Illinois, Iowa, Houston, and Memphis was crazy. And uh, we'll just do notes and other reactions, Q and A, etc. So you guys go on and jump in the chat, and uh, and we will hit that on the other side. Let's check out some things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures. And you can follow Gary at Gary WCE. You can also follow on Facebook. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. Subscribe on YouTube to get not only full Winning Cures Everything shows, but individual segments and other goodies as well. We're over 6,000 subscribers, and our goal by the end of the year is 7,500. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com, and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right, all right, all right. Uh, we have got a few more games to hit. Purdue 31, Maryland 29, and man, um, what a fantastic ball game. <laughs> like, it seems like Purdue does this every single week. Like Aiden O'Connell, 30 out of 41 passing, uh, going to pull him up on the, uh, on the screen, had two touchdowns, one interception. They ran the ball poorly. And yet that defense was able to actually get stops when they needed to. Uh, <laughs> JJ said, yeah, uh, OSU was bad at offense, plus Barrett. Yeah, that was, yes, there were issues there, obviously. Um, Talia Tongavaloa, 26 out of 38, 315 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Maryland looks like a real football team now. I think Mike Loxley has finally got this, this team kind of where he wants them. Now, the defense still leaves a little bit to be desired, but man... This was uh, this was interesting to me, like just looking at it, uh, looking at the overall stats. Purdue, uh, let's see, one third down, sixty-two to forty percent. They won drive points, twenty-eight to nineteen. Maryland did win yardage by like fourteen yards, three eighty-seven to three seventy-three. Um, they won yards per play. Maryland did six point one to five point zero. They won rushing, seventy-two to thirteen. They won turnovers, three to one, uh, but they did have a fourth down failure. This 
there's not a whole lot about Purdue that makes sense, right? If you look at the drive chart uh, for them, it, you know, they started out early and, and scored 17 points just within their first four drives. They put it on the first one, then a 12-play drive that ends in a field goal, 11-play drive that ends in a touchdown, 10-play drive that ends in a touchdown. And then you got nothing for basically the whole second quarter all the way into the fourth quarter. And then you score two touchdowns late. Like, really quickly. Where does this stuff come from? Like, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Uh, Jessica says, Lincoln says, hey, Dad. Hi, Lincoln. <laughs> my uh, my wife and child are uh, out of town this weekend, so I'm rocking it at the house. But uh, JJ says, Maryland is scary. They could upset Ohio State or Penn State. I don't think they're at that point just yet. I don't think we're there, but we're getting close. We're obviously getting close. So, uh, yeah, I I do think that Mike Loxley has got a good thing going with the Terrapins here. I, I think that, you know, they're not, this is not a terrible team. Uh, and Purdue just finds ways to win that don't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, but I'll tell you this, they keep winning like this. Jeff Brom is going to make a whole lot of money because either Louisville is going to pay him a fortune or Purdue is going to pay him a fortune to keep. And we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. All right. Uh, oh, I guess we could look at the uh, the win probabilities, et cetera. I mean, this was back and forth, back and forth. Uh, JJ, that's Jeff Brom offense for you. That's 100% what that is. Like, it's it, it does some really interesting things, and then it just lays down for like two quarters, and then it pops back up again in the fourth, and you never know what's going to happen. So it was kind of the same thing against Syracuse earlier this, this year. Um, I think that was in week two, week three, whatever it was. But regardless, uh, Jeff Brom's offense – light years better than the next team that we're going to talk about. So, uh, so yes, that's uh, that's the situation as far as Purdue and Maryland. 31-29, good win for the Boilermakers on that one. Moving along, and we have already hit an hour, and <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do this, but here we are. All right, Illinois, 9, Iowa, 6. Yes, that score is correct. And, yes, it was as mind-blowing as you could imagine. I want you to look at the final play of the game here on the stat sheet. That right there. If you're looking on here, it says uh, shotgun, Petrus, Spencer, pass complete, short left to Laporta, Sam for four yards, lost to the Iowa 16, lateral for five-yard gain to the Iowa 24, fumbled at the Iowa 24, recovered by Iowa, uh, Reagan Nakio at the Iowa 18, lateral to Petrus, Spencer for two, blah, 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 blah. It just goes on and on because they were trying to lateral this thing. They tried to win the game at the end on, you know, one of the crazy whatever plays. Oh, man. Uh, looking at this, Illinois won yardage 316 to 222. They won yards per play 4.2 to 3.4. They won rushing 200 to 52. Iowa gave up 200 rushing yards in this game. Uh, they won drive points 3 to nothing. Um, they won, uh, Iowa won turnovers 3 to 1. Of course they did. They missed a 45 yard field goal. So that was the end of it. Um, and Jeff Fogle said, basically a college version of Colts Broncos debacle from Thursday night. Here is the takeaway from this game. Illinois has looked really, really good thus far. They have beaten both Iowa and uh, <laughs> just said, my goodness, Iowa plays Ohio State in two weeks at the shoe. Uh, how bad is that score going to be? Not as bad as you would think because Iowa's defense is still absolutely fantastic. This is still a really, really good defense. So do not count them out of that game. Uh, although I will tell you that Ohio State 
is going to win it. It just may look closer to like that Notre Dame game than anything else. So, uh, looking at this, the DeVito ankle sprain is a huge deal. They have already beaten Wisconsin. They've already beaten Iowa. They are 5-1. and one. That Ryan Walters defense is chef's kiss, right? Just perfect. But how much more can they possibly lean on that defense? Uh, you're going to have to ride with Arter Sitkowski going forward. Tommy DeVito, high ankle sprain. Who knows how long he's going to be out. That's kind of an issue. Uh, Tommy DeVito was 6 of 11 for 42 yards in this. The it, it, It's not the stats. It is the calming leadership that he brings. Sitkowski, 13 out of 19, 74 yards, one interception. He was not great. He was not bad. But we've seen Sitkowski in the past. There's a reason why they brought in DeVito, right? Like, this offense under DeVito was just better. Uh, Chase Brown, 31 carries, 146 yards against an Iowa defense. I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, 82 Atlantic said, is Brett Bielema the Big tw- or excuse me, the Big Ten coach of the year? Uh we still got a long ways to go. At this point in the season, absolutely. Absolutely. He is the Big 12, or I keep saying it, Big 10 Coach of the Year right now because nobody expected this out of Illinois. Like, they are awesome currently. But, man, we still got a lot of season to go. A lot of season to go. Um, yeah, Chase Brown is an absolute stud. Absolute stud. They have got to find a way to get Isaiah Williams the ball more because he is explosive in that wide receiver room. Uh, he only had three for negative seven on the day. you you got to find a way to get him the ball. Like, Chase Brown is your stud. He's your workhorse, but Isaiah Williams is good too. So you got to find ways to get that, that receiver room a little bit more involved. And I don't know that you can do it with Zitkowski. I mean, we'll see. We will see. Uh, looking at the win probability here, uh, I mean, it was Illinois pretty much all day. It, it, there were so many opportunities for Illinois in this game. They would get down to the goal line and, and they throw an interception. They, you know, the fumbles, uh, fumbling on the punt returns. Like the drive for Iowa, that was basically two drives, was nuts because they they went for a little bit. They punted the ball. Uh, Illinois fumbles the ball and gives it back to them. Iowa goes back 15 yards after they get the fumble, and then they punt it back again. And then they settle for a field goal after. I mean, it, it's like the perfect Kirk Ferentz situation. It's just mind blowing to me uh, how this happens, how it works. Uh, I mean, cheers to Illinois. Five and one. This five and one, regardless. Uh, and we're hoping that Tommy DeVito comes back strong. But man, that defense under Ryan Walters is something serious. You got Walters and you got Chase Brown. You got a pretty good football team. Those lines of scrimmage are serious. Absolutely serious. Uh, two more games to hit, and then we'll do uh, you know the Q and A and all that kind of stuff if you guys want to. But uh, we'll move on to a Friday night game: Houston thirty-three, Memphis thirty-two. Uh, this was this was nuts. Houston was down twenty-six to seven in the fourth quarter. So yet they they won yardage four sixty-three to four thirty-eight. They won drive points twenty to ten. Memphis won yards per play five point eight to five point one. They won third downs, 53 to 38%. They won rushing, 156 to 97. The turnovers were equal. Uh, Houston had a fourth down failure and missed a 21-yard field goal. This, now, of course, Houston did get that kick return late. Uh, so that's that's something. 
Drive points is uh, a bit misleading because Memphis had two drives that were just short of 60 yards, 59 and 57. Um, both teams were able to drive the ball pretty much all night. And here, let me go and pull it up. I'll show you exactly what we're looking at as far as win probability because this was nuts. You don't normally see something like that where one team is so decidedly expected to win a game and then it just flips on a dime at the very end. You don't see that happen. Uh, you can see under the expected points there where it just, I mean, it, it was bottom of the barrel on play like 74. And then by play 101, it has completely flipped. It is absolutely insane. Um, I, I just, I, so I watched this and I, I looked at the Houston onside kick recovery that led to the final touchdown that actually won them the game. And I am of the opinion that they were offside on that onside kick. Now, didn't do a whole lot of going back and looking and all that kind of stuff, right? But I think it I think they should have. This was <laughs> Web Blanket jumps in. Only FBS teams to win each game by double digits this season. Ohio State, Oklahoma State. Yeah, you can call that Oklahoma State win by double digits if you want to. I understand. But they, they scored a touchdown to go up by 10 with like less than three minutes left in the game. I mean, what are we talking about? <laughs> um, but Memphis absolutely just gave this game away. They they had control of it 26-7 to in the fourth quarter. And to lose 33-32 to is just brutal. Like, we've talked about Ryan Silverfield on here in the past. Memphis has problems. It's not players. This is a coaching situation. They kicked two field goals in the fourth quarter and still got beat. How do you allow this to happen? And forget whether or not Houston was offsides on the onside kick. Forget that. If you're Memphis, you got to start figuring out, like, what what is the problem with this football program? How do they continuously lose games that they should win? Just, a, just based on a talent perspective, first off. But this is becoming a trend. This is becoming a problem. And Memphis' schedule, like, it's not like it's going to get a whole lot easier. I mean, they, they opened up. I think they've got East Carolina next week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but they've already played Navy. They've already played uh, some of the weaker teams. And now you're going to have to kind of go through a little bit of a gauntlet against teams that are fairly similar. Uh, 82 Atlantic jumps in. Do you think Ryan Silverfield gets canned at the end of the season if they don't win at least seven games? I think even if it's just seven, you could really have the conversation because you do not need the football program to get left behind. That's the biggest issue. If you are trying to move along if you are trying to get to a bigger conference, et cetera, you've got all these plans to like update the Liberty Bowl. You're, you're trying to sell season tickets. You're trying to get people fired up about this football program and about this athletic program. You can't keep the same average mess in your football program. Like I know it's not possible to hit on every single hire. They hit on Fuente. They hit on Mike Norvell. But I... Uh, I don't know about Silverfield yet. Like, he he's the best recruiter that they've had thus far. But we keep getting the same situations like this. So, 
interesting to watch that going forward. So pay attention to Memphis. See what they end up doing for the rest of the year because uh, they were 4-1 and one and looked pretty good. Now you're sitting at 4-2. and two. Things could crater quickly if you're not careful. Uh, oh, last, you know what? I'm not even going to pull up a stat, I don't think. Arizona State 45, Washington 38. That one was interesting, to say the least, I think, right? Uh, Washington's defense is pretty bad. Now, this, of course, it continues the trend of them going to Arizona State and losing uh, because they they have not won at Arizona State since 2001. So, I mean, that's, it just continues on. It doesn't matter who the coach is. It doesn't matter anything. It's just bad. So, something to uh, to watch out for over there. Uh, something to, to just pay attention to. Washington, I think, is going to be okay. Uh, Arizona State, they find a little bit of life with this team. They could mess up some win totals. So just did something to pay attention to going forward. Uh, let's talk about news and notes as far as other teams are concerned. Um, some other games that were brought up. Uh, if you guys have any games that you would like to be discussed, go on and bring it up in the chat. Uh, Stone Thomas Take said Boise is back. Boise beat Fresno last night 40-20. Uh, to 20, And I don't know that they're necessarily back because I don't think that Fresno is great uh, by any stretch of the imagination. JJ said, I see dog. Yeah, I got uh, I got two of them in here. Heidi is a sheepadoodle, and uh, the little one down there, which is just laying under my feet, is Sissy. She is a fox terrier corgi mix. So, uh, JJ said, uh, "Our holy South said Ohio State will get 30s, and Iowa can't get there." Uh, yeah, that's 100 percent what's going to happen next week. Georgia 42 to 10 over Auburn. Uh, that was not as dominant a game as you would think. Georgia put up 21 points in the fourth quarter, like. What are, what are we doing? Like, it was 17-3 to three going into the fourth quarter. I mean, not 17, excuse me, 21-3 to three going into the fourth. Uh, just, yeah, Holy South said Fresno was bad. Yeah, uh, without Jake Hayner, that is a bad football team. Like, Logan Five did the best that he could, but that's not a good team. Uh, 82 Atlantic, Lane Kiffin has been vocal about how left behind Ole Miss is in NIL. Could you see him jumping to Nebraska or Wisconsin? No. I might could see him... Going to Auburn, uh, I would. I don't believe that he will go to Nebraska. I don't think Nebraska wants uh, somebody like Kevin. Um, and Wisconsin certainly not. Uh, Wisconsin has like two, three options tops. Um, you know, Wisconsin. I think I talked about it on the Tuesday show. Wisconsin will be either Jim Leonard, which is who they really want. Uh, they will get Lance Leipold because I think they're going to outbid Kansas. Leipold, of course, is from Wisconsin-Whitewater. He has played and coached in that state for a very long time. He knows Wisconsin. That'll probably be their second choice. If they can't get him, they're going to go after Dave Aranda pretty hard, I would imagine. But what you really want is for Jim Leonard to keep doing things like he did yesterday, which is blow out bad teams and give your fan base a little bit of hope. That's what you want. So they want Jim Leonard uh, because that's easy. That's an easy transition. Uh, Tennessee, we already touched about that. Ole Miss, 52-28 to over Vanderbilt. Uh, Vandy scared him in the second quarter. Uh, just A.J. Swan looked pretty good, and I don't think Ole Miss was quite ready for it. Ole Miss gets Auburn next week, so yeah, we'll see about that. South Carolina, 24-14 to over Kentucky. Now, we're kind of going through the SEC here on this one. Uh, Kentucky, without Will Levis, is in a whole world of trouble. Just bleh. Not good. Not good at all. Uh, South Carolina, 4-2 and two on the season now. 
Uh, Holy South said Sean Lewis to Wisconsin. I think I would want... And so I brought this up on the show on Tuesday. Uh, Sean Lewis as the OC for Jim Leonard would be beautiful. Now, I've had a lot of people actually talk to me about this through, you know, DMs and whatnot. And they said, why... So I had people ask me about Joe Moorhead. And they said, why would Joe Moorhead not go take another P5 offensive coordinator position? I said, because he wants to be a head coach. And I said, I don't know what Sean Lewis wants to be. I don't have a relationship with Sean Lewis. Um, but if you're just looking at it from a monetary standpoint, and if you think that you can actually get to uh, a bigger head coaching job by going the OC route, we have seen that happen before. Dan Enos was the head coach at Central Michigan, and he left there to be Brett Bielema's offensive coordinator at Arkansas because he was going to make, like, quadruple the money. It, it makes sense, right? Like, it's a lot of money to go and be one of these P5 coordinators at one of the big two. So, uh, Sean Lewis, as the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin, come in, run that Kent State offense. Yeah, it could absolutely make sense because Sean Lewis is making less than $500,000 a year as the head coach at Kent State. You go to Wisconsin as the OC for Jim Leonard, you're probably making $2 million or a little less, like maybe $1.7 million, especially with all the new Big Ten money that's coming in. I think that makes sense. So, uh, going back to some of these games, Mississippi State absolutely destroyed Arkansas. Uh, Mississippi State's a good football team. Like, having an old football team is interesting. I will say that. <laughs> they are... They are really, really good. They know what they're doing. They know what is expected of them. Pretty awesome. Um, Florida beat Missouri 24-17, to and they were actually kind of lucky to do that because they did not have a good success rate on the day. They they kind of got beat for the most part. It was That was strange. That was a strange ball game. Um, moving over to the Big Ten, Nebraska, that one point win over Rutgers, 14-13. Ohio State just smoked Michigan State, 49-20. Michigan, 31-10 over Indiana. We talked about Mike Hart before uh, everything's said and done. Uh, just hoping for good things to come out about Mike Hart soon. Um, Wisconsin, 42-7. We just talked about Wisconsin. Um, 82 Atlantic said, what's wrong with Arkansas? Uh, they are banged up. KJ Jefferson didn't play. Um, a lot of different things. Like, when you don't have your full roster, obviously you're going to go through this, uh, especially in the SEC. So, it's uh, it's rough right now for them hogs. Things are not well. Uh, moving over to the Big 12. Here, I'll pull it up on the screen so you guys can see what I'm looking at. Uh, we talked about Oklahoma State, talked about TC. We talked about all these games. You know why? Because the Big 12 is a fun conference. They've got the most entertaining product out there right now because every game is tight. Clemson, 31-3 to over Boston College. Um... Yeah, like, they, they dominated like they were supposed to. I mean, it was 10-3 to 3 at the half, and then they just came out in the second half and did what you're supposed to do. So, DJ Uyunglele did not have, like, a fantastic game, but he was all right. Uh, Wake Forest, 45-10 to 10 over Army. Uh, that defense for Wake Forest, by the way, my under 8.5, I don't believe is going to hit. I don't trust that one to hit at all because I, that defense is good. Like, Brad Lambert coming over from... Uh, Blah, 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 from uh, Purdue, like really fix that defense in like one year. So Army could get nothing going on offense. They didn't score until the fourth quarter. And Sam Hartman being back healthy is uh, that's a good football team. Wake Forest, a really good football team. Louisville, 34-17. to We talked about Scott Satterfield at the top of the show. And if you are going to fire Louisville if they lose to Virginia, 
or excuse me, if you're going to fire Satterfield, if Louisville loses to Virginia, you might as well go in and fire him because they're going to lose to somebody else somewhere down the line. Louisville played without Malik Cunningham in this game. They played without Tyon Evans. Like most of the the running back room was out for this game, and they still found a way to win the ball game by 17 on the road. Like Virginia's not a good team, but that's still a good win. Uh, 82 Atlantic. Will Northwestern fire Pat Fitzgerald? Or will he restructure his contract like Scott Frost did two seasons ago? Uh, let me let me make this perfectly clear to everybody that's out there. Pat Fitzgerald is going nowhere. Northwestern will not fire him. They will never even consider firing him because they will fire coordinators first. They believe that they've got the right guy at, at head coach. Now, I don't believe that he will... He won't stay on if this thing just continues on and on, but he will make that decision, not the admins. He has more seniority, et cetera, than anybody else there. He's got more goodwill built up than those presidents that have gone through there, than the ADs, et cetera. Like it's, Pat Fitzgerald is Northwestern. He's had the head coaching job since he was 31. He's only 47. He's going to be there forever. Who is going to get fired this year? Will be Jim O'Neill, the defensive coordinator, and possibly Mike Bajakian, the, the offense coordinator. We shall see. Um, but there's there's other things going on there as well. Like Northwestern is bad, but defense has a bunch of injuries, etc. There's there's just a lot happening there. So could I see this team coming back maybe next year and and at least being a little bit better? Yeah, why not? You know, I I think I don't think this is a bad team. I will just say that. I, I <laughs> that's so wrong. This is a bad team. I don't think that they are like fire the head coach bad yet, but fire the defense coordinator. Yeah, absolutely. Because Jim O'Neill has shown me nothing schematically uh, to show that he is capable of continuing this. Like he didn't even do it in the NFL. Like God, blah is what it is. Georgia Tech, by the way, uh, beat Duke. Pull that back up here. Um, Georgia Tech beat Duke 23-20. And, yeah, uh, I should have bet that because my numbers had Georgia Tech favored uh, pretty substantially. And I was scared of it because they're Georgia Tech. Brent Key is doing fun things in Atlanta, for sure. Um, North Carolina, 27-24 over Miami. We talked about that. Oh, Pitt, 45-29 over Virginia Tech. What in the world is happening with Pitt? I just don't understand this team. None of it makes sense. Uh, Virginia Tech couldn't score on anybody. They couldn't score on North Carolina. Uh, Holy South said Collins was the problem at Georgia Tech. Yeah, it's kind of looking like it. Um, now, Brent Key, I don't know if that's somebody that you necessarily want to like hire for the full-time job, but, man, he's an alum of Georgia Tech, and he cares deeply about that school, and you can tell it. Like, he really, really loves that that university. So... Who knows going forward? Uh, Pac-12, USC, 30-14. to 14. Uh, I probably should have put that one on there to talk about, but uh, what are you going to do? Uh, Oregon, 49-22 to 22 over Arizona. Um, yeah, Oregon just keeps on rolling. Uh, after that Georgia game, they kind of look like the best team in the Pac-12. I guess. Uh, Oregon State-Stanford was nuts last night. I watched that when I got up early this morning. Went back and watched the uh, the replay. And golly, uh, <laughs> just an absolute bonkers game 
for the Beavers who get the win, moved to 4-2 and two on the season. They scored 18 fourth-quarter points. Stanford had this thing in hand. And Oregon State, 18 fourth-quarter points to get a 28-27 uh, win. Just nuts. Absolutely nuts. Uh, let's talk about the AAC right quick uh, before we get out of here. So the American Athletic Conference, UCF, of course, on Wednesday, uh, second-half domination for the Knights, 41-19 to over SMU. Uh, we talked about Houston-Memphis. Uh, Cincy over South Florida, 28-24. This was a tight, tight ball game. Um, <laughs> holy South jumped in. Stanford, how does that happen? Uh, you're Stanford, and you just don't have the same athletes as you used to. Uh, you play too conservatively, etc. Um, Cincinnati is not a great football team. South Florida is not a terrible football team. And that's how you get a result like 28 to 24 Cincy in that one. Uh, Tulane, 24 to 9 over East Carolina. That's interesting. And Navy putting the wallop on Tulsa. Uh, 53 21. Just weird, weird, weird. Uh, 82 Atlantic said, What do you think happens with David Shaw at Stanford? Uh, I will tell you this. I think that he has built up enough goodwill at that university and he brought them some things that they had not had in a long, long time that I don't believe he's going anywhere. They just installed this new offense, right? This uh, this slow mesh that they got from Wake Forest. They studied it really hard and they are working on it, but they don't exactly have the roster to do it just yet. Th- those guys are not super comfortable. Remember, EJ Smith uh, has, has gone out. It looks like he's out for the year that uh, they're star running back who they started off and got a win with and uh, and looked pretty good against USC with. So once you lose him, then it's all kind of been downhill since. But you need, like, a good running back. You need some good options. And that offensive line still has a lot to learn as far as that that type of offense is concerned. I I don't think Shaw's going anywhere yet. Um, but they're starting to get a little antsy. I know that. Uh, the Mountain West, by the way. You want to talk about a bad conference? I mean, my gosh. Uh, there are so many not good teams in the Mountain West. Uh, Colorado State beat Nevada 17-14, so that helped my win total on that. San Jose State, 40-7. to uh, I tweeted a lot about San Jose State the last couple of days. Whew. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is... This is kind of crazy. Um, San Jose State, 40-7 to over UNLV. If you look at San Jose State's schedule coming up, here, we'll pull it up on the screen. They've got at Fresno without Jay Kaner, New Mexico State, Nevada, Colorado State, at San Diego State, who is on like their third string quarterback, I think, at Utah State and Hawaii. I expect probably like they split Utah State and San Diego State, and then they beat everybody else. Like I think they're gonna go eleven and one. So I just San Jose State looks good. Brent Brennan's gonna get a job. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, you Air Force. Hey, Air Force, I am never betting on you again. <laughs> Losing outright to Utah State, who was a 1-4 football team, couldn't stop the run against anybody, and and they slowed down Air Force. 34-27. Just brutal. Just brutal. Um, Wyoming continues to win, etc. Just ridiculous. So, Holy South said they win the rest. Yeah, they, they could go 11-1. You never know. But uh, it's more likely than not that they end up losing a game somewhere. Just tossing that there. All right. Let's, uh, here, let's get standings. Let me pull up standings. Yeah, Cincy, Tulane, 
UCF. Uh, 82 Atlantic said South Florida got blown out by Louisville. So I disagree with you that they were a bad football team. Um, I don't think they're awful. I don't think South Florida is awful. I think they were in a, a bad spot in that game against Louisville. Uh, because if you're if you remember that was coming off of the let, that was a letdown spot after being so close against Florida if I'm not mistaken, um, but also like UCF, they're four and one they got beat by Louisville. <laughs> I don't think I don't think one game can tell you whether or not a team is bad, uh, but South Florida, they're they're interesting they're definitely interesting, um, but it tells you something when Cincinnati is in just an absolute. Uh, knockdown, dragout fight with South Florida, even at home, right? Uh, these teams are a lot closer than you think they are. Uh, I'll tell you who's bad. Temple. Temple is bad. Uh, that's a bad football team. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Uh, Tulsa, I don't think Tulsa's a bad team just because they got blown out by Navy. Just saying. Like, at Navy uh, has not looked good. Tulsa had looked pretty good, but uh, but Navy, you know, gets that dub. Is what it is. All right, let's close this thing out. You guys, check out the surf code. There's a link in the description. Use the promo code GARY10 to get 10% off of your order. And, of course, we're brought to you by BetUS, where the game begins. It's America's premier online sports book. You can find them over at BetUS.com. There's a link in the description to go check out BetUS TV and the BetUS college football show that I host every Tuesday and Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be a good time. Myself, Parker, Kyle, didn't have a great week this week. We're looking forward to a much better week next week. we got some massive games on tap next week. Penn State, Michigan, Tennessee, Alabama, Clemson, and Florida State. It's going to be fun next week. we got some good things to discuss. So make sure that you join us over there on Tuesday and Wednesday. And, of course, I'll be right back here on Winning Cures Everything on Wednesday night. Uh, excuse me, on Tuesday night. So make sure that you're back here for that one uh, because I'm going to have a lot to talk about. I would guarantee it. Lots to discuss once we get to Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here back on the Money Cures Everything channel. With that said, go ahead and like the video if you have not done so already. I would certainly appreciate that. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. If you can't catch it live all the time, make sure that you, of course, subscribe to the podcast. Leave a nice five-star review. That helps out everything that I do as far as uh, the uh, algorithm stuff, whatever goes on in the background. Right, that all helps get in front of other people, helps build this community. You guys are 80, I mean, just fantastic. 82 Atlantic, Holy Sal, uh, JJ, etc. Like at J Hood and their wet blanket, Stone Thomas. You guys are awesome. I, I really appreciate you guys for being here. You give me somebody to talk to, and that's all I want to do with this show. I just want a community where we can talk about what happened. You know, <laughs> wet blanket, go pokes. Uh, Holy Sal, have a good one. Big week in college football. Every week is a big week in college football, my friend. That's the way it goes. All right, let's get out of here. You guys have been fantastic. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And hopefully, hopefully, all of you tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial. 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.